today I'm wrapping up my little two-part series on uh, 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 following up a message I started last week called We Cannot Fail. In fact, it was Why We Cannot Fail. Why We Cannot Fail. So we talked about different areas uh, that God has called us in, that we confront challenges we have and so forth, and recognizing that the call of God on our life, uh, the way God views it and views us is that, that we do have what it takes to do what God's called us to do because Jesus did what it takes. Jesus already accomplished. Jesus is on our side. We're not trusting in our own abilities. Uh, we're not trusting in our own strength. We're trusting in Him. And when we recognize that and we take that posture, we understand that we cannot fail. God doesn't look at us and think, man, I hope they make it. Man, I hope they, they, they do their best and, and maybe things will work out. But the way it, that God works it in, in his kingdom and in his perspective is that the victory already belongs to us. And so that's why I talked about last week that message that why we cannot fail. We cannot fail. And I want to wrap it up, though, today and with a message entitled, why we must not fail. Why we must not fail. I really believe that this is a, a stronger uh, message in some areas. I want to address some things that are going on currently within our culture. I believe that America is maybe at a tipping point, hopefully not beyond a tipping point, and even in areas that we have tipped over. It's so it's crucial that we get things back, that we reclaim some territory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, it says that we're ambassadors for Christ. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 8, God says, Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, Jesus said, Go and, and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations. We have a tremendous task set before us, a huge responsibility that God has given us. And this is why it's so important that at the foundation, we understand that we cannot fail to accomplish what God has called us to do. But today we need to recognize that we also must not fail because so much is at stake. Look in your Bible with me to Luke chapter 19. And we want to read this from verses 41 through 44, and it's a, a passage where Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, about to be crucified, and, he ta and he's outside of the city of Jerusalem, and he's taking a look at it. And, and I've been to Israel, and there's a point where you can, you know, there's many points where you can come and just overlook the city. And you can only you can imagine Jesus being at one of those points, and it says this. In fact, let's read this from the screens out loud and loudly together. It says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you, when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground 
and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is looking at the city and he's weeping. He's weeping right here. You know, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept, and that's referring to a different situation, but that's not the only time he wept. He didn't just weep uh, at the time of the death of his friend. He, he wept over a city. He wept over a city. And this is what he's saying to him as he did. He said, if only you knew and it's on this day, especially this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Through, throughout the scripture, the prophecy pointed to the coming of God's son of the Messiah, and they missed it. He said, these things that are, that, that are for your peace are right here at hand, and you're about to miss it. They're hidden from your eyes. And I think that America, that we find ourselves in a very similar situation where God is giving us an opportunity. It's almost like he's saying, last chance. Don't miss it. Jesus goes on to say, for the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side. Your enemies are going to attack from every side. They're not just going to come one way, but they're going to come from every angle that they possibly can. And they're going to level you and your children. It's not just you, but they're after the next generation as well. They're going to level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. All the walls that you have built around you to protect you, all the strength, all the stability, everything down to the foundation that you have built over generations, because you are not aware of what I'm doing, and you're going to miss it, you're going to miss it, and all of that is going to be torn down. And, and the reason is because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the one promised throughout, uh, uh, throughout Scripture from the beginning of time, he's sitting there right before them, and they didn't recognize their time of visitation from the Lord. I can't help but to think that we might be in a situation, an environment like that today. I want to talk about some things and uh, be rather strong about them and yet be sensitive to people. Sometimes you talk about principles and because people are tied to principles, they uh, can't disassociate themselves from them or we can't and we can, we can come against people as opposed to trying to correct principles. And in and, and addressing principles and, and course correcting, sometimes people, we could either be insensitive and hurt people or people because they're attached to it. It's like duct tape. You're trying to pull that off, but it's like my skin and my hair is connected to that and it hurts. And so I want to be sensitive, but I also feel like it's important that I be uh, direct and strong concerning some things because we must not fail. We must not fail we cannot miss our time of visitation. There's too much at stake. We're at a crucial moment in history, and it's not too late for us to set the anchor once again firmly in Christ, our foundation. When you hear things going on in the news and you, you see what's happening, and you kind of think, what in the, how did we get to this point? How did we get to this point? 
to where we question everything. We act in certain ways. We're doing, we're going in, in certain directions. And, and, and uh, how, how did we get there? And when I look at that, I think it's because we have become untethered from the truth of God and His Word. We, we, have, we have pulled up anchor, and now we're just continuing to drift away from biblical truth. And when we drift from biblical truth, and thus a biblical worldview, the more tolerant we end up becoming of those things that oppose Jesus, that oppose His Word, and ultimately opposes people as well. We become more tolerant of those things that, that opposes truth, him as uh, who he is and his people. We become tolerant of those because we're at drifting. We're our anchor. We're not anchored solid in the word of God. Our foundation is, been, has, is being destroyed. And in Psalm 11.3, it says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Church, it's time for us to reset the anchor. We must not fail. John Wesley said this, he said, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. We have tolerated this drifting, this, this uh, towards an, more and more of an ungodly, an anti-God worldview. We've tolerated that to the point to where it's embraced by this, next, this newer generation and celebrated, and in fact, it's mandated. We must not fail. There's too much at stake. As Hosea said in, in chapter 8, verse 7, we as a nation, we have sown to the wind and we are reaping the whirlwind. We have, we have gone a little bit here, a little bit there away from God, and now it's shown up on our doorstep. We're far, far away. We're way off course in so many areas. We need to regain our moral compass. We need to regain our moral compass. In John chapter 18, Jesus was brought before Pilate before he is crucified. And he's examined by him. And this is one of the, the governors, they're the rulers. And Pilate said to them, are you a king then? And Jesus answered and said, you, rightly, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus saying, the reason why I came is to bear witness to the truth. And those who hear, those who are, are, the, or are of the truth hear my voice. And Pilate's response is, what is truth? What is truth? The Romans at the time, they struggled with this question. I think that as we drift in a sea of moral relativism, we've moved from a question to where we even struggle with what is the truth to where now we completely disregard it. We don't wrestle with what is the truth. We've boxed it up, sealed it, and put it away, and we said, we're, we're going to ignore that completely, what the truth is, and we're just going to go with what feels all right, what we define as true. This is the, am I the only one that thinks this, that this might be a, a description of where we are as a, as a culture? We have disregarded the truth. 
we're at a point where the scripture in Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 can describe us all too well. It says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. There are those who would call what is evil, no, that's good, acceptable, honorable, to be approved of, to be legislated. And, and that which is good, that which is pure, that which is noble, praiseworthy, that, reflects, that which reflects the truth, the, the honesty, the beauty of God, that's evil. Those who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, this is prevalent in every arena today, every area. It's such a description of where we are. Everything seems to be turned upside down. Ask, ask your kids who are at school, if they had come from a Christian worldview, Christian family, and they, they even bring up a biblical perspective regarding the hot topics of today, they're immediately shut down, not just from their peers, but too often from their teachers as well. They're made to feel ashamed, feel like an idiot, and oftentimes as a kid, they don't have the, uh, the, the ability to articulate what they believe and why. They don't have the years of experience uh, to, to really take a, a solid stand. They get bullied for it because what is good is evil, and evil is good, and it's tough. And it's not just in the, the school settings, it happens in the workplace, it happens in the media, it happens, it happens everywhere. We must not fail. This, this is why the world seems to be turned upside down. I want to talk about a couple areas, not every area, and I won't go into them exhaustively, but I want to talk about a couple areas that we must not fail because we're faced with these every day. It's all over, and it's... it's you can't avoid it. You can't ignore it. And so as believers, we need to come back to the Word, and we need to address it. One of these areas is in politics. It's, you know, we're in an election year. Seems like an election eternity. Seems like election purgatory, right? Like, when are we going to get out of this? And so, and I don't think hardly any of us feel that at the end of the, the elections here in November that, that it's over, right? Like, oh man, regardless of what happens there, we, we recognize that, there, that we're at such a crucial point in our nation's history. I don't talk about politics much in the pulpit. I, I don't do it. Uh, but the scripture does say this in Psalm 29 too. It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Politics are important. Who leads us as a nation, it's important. If I was to describe this election and the primary choices of candidates from, from both the, the Democrat side and the Republican, I'd sum it up with one word. You know what that word is? Godless. Godless. Not ungodly. Because if you look back at the biographies of, of presidents and politicians in the past, you see plenty of ungodliness. But this is beyond ungodliness. This is godlessness. It, it's, it's not even uh, anything more than lip service of an acknowledgement 
and trying to appease and get the votes of religious people, Christians, and so forth, we are faced with two choices that are both godless people. That's our primary, primary uh, choices right there. Now, listen, I don't believe that with understanding and seeing that, that we should back off from being engaged in the political arena. I don't think that we throw in the towel because neither of the choices are perfect. I'm concerned about anybody who is completely 100% represented by any politician. I'm thinking, that's it? Listen, our hope is not in a man or woman leading our nation. That's not where our hope is at. There is, a, there is a lot at stake based on who leads, and it's important. It's hugely important. The, we can see, you know, as uh, those who, who lead, they, they shape they sh- the, the direction, they shift the direction that our nation goes. It's hugely important. But it's not something that we back off on and give up because neither necessarily are uh, God-fearing uh, candidates. In fact, we need to press in even more. Uh, we need to press in to pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. We need to be praying for our leadership, for all who are in authority, because it affects the way we live. And we do need to pray for godly leaders. But we also have precedent from the word of God that when there are ungodly or godless leaders in charge, that God can still work on behalf of his people in the midst of that. The, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and like the rivers of water, he directs it whichever way. We have power in our vote, but we have even greater power in our prayers. And so we, we do need to be engaged in the political arena, but the, the, mo, the best chance we have starts with prayer. The most influence we have is in the spirit, that God would wake people up in the middle of the night, that he would shift direct, that he would influence. Not only do we need to pray, verse, let me finish that scripture out. It says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, we've had elections in the past, again, with plenty of not great choices, by all means. Uh, but how did we as a nation that was founded for the glory of God as a nation where we wanted to be able to worship Jesus Christ, how did we get to a point when the two best options that we can put forward don't even acknowledge them? How did we get to that point? This is what I'm saying. We must not fail. We need to reclaim some territory. Not only do we need to pray, we need to speak the truth in love. We have an opportunity and responsibility to be salt and light in the world and call for righteous and just laws that would agree with God and His Word and to oppose those that do not. We have that opportunity to do so. Uh, We need to encourage godly men and women to enter the political arena. The majority of decisions are made by a, a very small group of people. How much more should we get godly men and women to that point of leadership? 
support them, encourage them, pray for them, rally alongside them the best that we can. No candidate is perfect, but I'm telling you this, if you love God and you have a conviction and, uh, uh, that His Word is true and understand that, that um, there are blessings as we align ourselves with His ways and there are consequences when we mis- are misaligned, then I want to see people like you involved in public office, serving and influencing Second issue I want to talk about in an area where we must not fail in, but it's, it's something that is right there front and center every day, it seems like, is in regards to sexuality, in regards to sexuality. There has been a tendency to drift from God's picture of sexual wholeness, even in biblical times. So we're talking about it, we're faced with it every day, but it is not new. Throughout the Bible, you see people getting away from God's plan regarding sexual wholeness and purity. This drift, of course, it includes premarital sex. It includes extramarital sex, the adulterous affairs. It includes the same-sex sex, and the, confidence, uh, the consequences are evident. Unwed mothers, fatherless children broken families, sexually transmitted diseases. Why is that? We've drifted from God's picture. Why? Because we've lifted up our anchor. We've become untethered to His truth. And it has consequences. And we must not fail to get back to the truth. We must not fail to get back to the Word and align ourselves first personally before we even put it on other people. Personally, we need to align ourselves with God's truth. The biblical picture that Jesus Christ gives of his relationship with the church, you know what that is? It's the picture of marriage between a man and a woman. Ephesians chapter 5 lays that out. This precious, holy, earthly covenant relationship, it's supposed to represent our relationship with Jesus. When when God is saying, how can I best reflect my love for the church, my commitment, what it's like to to lay my life down for the church and to, to have this loving relationship with my people, how can I best reflect that? It's through marriage between a man and a woman. God's relationship with the church is not not, um, a reflection of marriage. Marriage is a reflection of that. It follows the pattern of, of the relationship between Jesus and his church. This is hugely important to us. This is a big deal because it's no wonder that there was such a battle to redefine the relationship, that relationship, and disregard the biblical truth about marriage. And because we as Christians and those in the church have been so uh, influenced by what the world is saying, and we're hearing 90% of one perspective and and maybe 10% of God's perspective— We've got to the point where we say, I don't know. Who am I to say? I don't know, you know, what's okay for everybody else. Well, for me, it's, it's this. 
And I'm not talking about condemning people. I'm talking about standing with truth and the principles. That's right. that, this, listen, the issue, even when it comes to marriage and redefining marriage, it's not about homosexuality and heterosexuality. That's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is not about being able to uh, be recognized by the state or to be, spend your life with a person you love regardless of, of uh, who they are. The issue is not about equality. Those are issues, but those are not the biggest issue. The biggest issue that, that I believe uh, this whole thing is about is about the image, the reflection, the relationship of Jesus and his church. It's an affront by the enemy to the Lord saying that which you think is pure and precious in your sight and represents your love for your people and their love for you, I'm going to completely uh, disrupt and distort that image. That's what was at stake, and that's the ground we lost. Because we, even as believers, have not held to that truth. We must not fail. Even beyond just going and trying to overturn laws and so forth like that. Laws, they they ebb and flow. But in our hearts... We've got to embrace the truth of God and let that override whatever culture or society or even our own feelings tell us. The hot topic right now, it's moved quickly from equality in marriage and redefining marriage to gender identity. It's a hot topic. And and this is an area of sensitivity because I know people who struggle with this. Most people can get up, you can talk about issues when you don't know the people, and you can rant and rave about it all day long and say, these people, those people, I mean, it's immigration, it's, it's, it's uh, religious people, it's, it's races, it's anything. You can, you can rant and rave all about it and take your stand, but then you know people, and you know that there's people that are affected by these things we're talking about, people who are going through it and experiencing this and walking through it. And it's tough because there's still truth, and there's those, there's those who are affected by trying to reconcile these things and find where they stand. And as a church, the church, we're called to, to love and to embrace and to, to represent Jesus. But we didn't bring, as a church, we're not bringing this issue to the front door and, 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 and making, forcing it into the public conversation. It's being forced upon everybody. Not even just from those who struggle with it, but other agendas, because we look at the foundation being destroyed, not only is the foundation of marriage and the image that that it represents, but even the reality that, as Genesis 127 says, that we were created in the image of God, male and female, he created them. We've moved away from that truth. And instead of helping and counseling people who struggle with this, because there's a confusion, you know, it, it's, it's, it's moved from uh, people struggle with, in their sexuality in a number of areas to where I can't restrain myself, and it's conquest after conquest. It's I can't keep it within my own marriage. It it's, um, it's goes beyond the... the uh, they struggle with, with the same sex attraction and activity. 
and to the point where I don't even know what sex I may be. I'm struggling. People struggle with that because we've become untethered. We've lost our anchor to the truth, and we're at a point where we don't try to help and counsel people who are going through that. In fact, we're so afraid that we might offend people that we just encourage it. Even children at a young age, two, three years old, I think I'm a boy, I think I'm a girl. Well, whatever you want to be. Because we don't recognize, no, you're created in God's image, male and female. Not male or female. And we need to help people walk through this to identify and, and, and find wholeness. But not only is it encouraged, but it's mandated that everyone else does the same. You accept this. You approve of this. You make room for it. We must not fail. It's a principle, and there's people who are hurt by violating it. And we got to get back to the truth. There's a confidence, security, and strength when we embrace our God-given sexual identity and order. In order to reclaim territory, first thing we must do, we must extend grace, mercy, and forgiveness so that people can experience healing by Jesus from sexual brokenness. Letting people know that if you trust God, if you'll repent and you'll walk through this out, walk this out, and it's not always an easy process, you will find out that a God does restore. I've experienced this personally. I've shared the story with you guys at various times of growing up in a very promiscuous lifestyle. And one of the reasons why I didn't want to give my life to Jesus is because I wasn't willing to give that up. And it wasn't until I recognized that I, I need Jesus and, and, and the eternal, the eternal uh, comfort, peace, joy that comes with him more than the temporal pleasure of that moment. It wasn't until that time where I found out that God can love me through it and give me the strength to overcome it. It wasn't until that time that someone really shared the gospel with me that I received the hope enough to change. And we interact with people all around us and even sitting with us who need that hope and they need that grace and they need that love. So we got to extend that grace, but we also should graciously speak up and stand with God's timeless truth. So we don't simply ignore it or say, that's okay. We do love the person through it, and we help them to recognize the biblical truth and God's plan that he has for them, and that he can set them free. If you are not married, and you are involved in a sexual relationship, you need to repent. You need to come back to God. You are out of alignment. And I know that sometimes I can sound like a raving preacher, you know, like this is why the church is irrelevant today. Listen, it might be irrelevant today, but when it comes to standing before God for eternity, it's going to be very relevant. And it's not popular. It's not always acceptable or looked up to. And, and we want to be liked so much that we compromise and put our light under, you know, a, a, a shade and we got to help people get free. We got to help people. If you're married and you're messing around or even going that way, get out of there. If you are struggling with same-sex attraction, find a, a group that get, don't don't just give in to the the thought saying that you're destined to be stuck in that. Don't get stuck there. There is hope. There's help. 
You can become the man or woman that God has called you to be and live in sexual wholeness. If I didn't stir the pot yet, I have one area that I, I want to. And, and listen, God forbid that we come out of here as angry Christians that, that, that uh, turn everybody away from Jesus because we, we only speak the truth and we don't embrace the love of God. That is not this message. When you love someone, you're going to speak the truth, though. You have to help them. And it doesn't mean we, we do it in a cavalier way of, here's the truth, take it or leave it. Man, that is not Jesus. It's not how he does it. He lays his life down for the broken. He does not come around just condemning people. He wants so desperately for them to know their love and the restoration that he has to offer. One more area I want to talk about where we must not fail is in regards to religion. Regards to religion. This is another hot topic that we're faced with that seems like now more than ever, especially and specifically regarding the Islam, uh, the issue uh, of Islam in America and the world and its effect. I mean, this is talked about all over. Last week after I went to an open house, I, I looked at the news and I, I found out about the tragedy that was had taken place in Orlando. I didn't know about it before church, and I don't always like to look at the news before I, I get here. I need my mind on what is God saying. And I li listened to this. I started reading it, and uh, man, when things like that happen, it affects us. You might not be directly affected, but it's, it's one more straw on the camel's back, right? It's one more weighty thing to think about. And then it blows up throughout media, and people take advantage of it in any way they can, any way they can talk about. And so the big discussion, a big discussion is on Islamic terrorism. And Islamic terrorism is nothing new. It's nothing new, though we would, we would think it is. This is how the religion spread from the beginning. However, it seems that we hear about it and read about it more and more than ever. Many leaders in our nation have a difficult time even associating terrorists with Islam. Instead, they prefer to use the word extremist. Remember, words paint pictures. Words create castles. The, the, the pen is mightier than the sword. If you can shape the language, redefine words, if you can set the conversation... It's more effective than if you just go in with guns or knives or swords because you can shape the, the, the hearts and the minds of people with the words you use. And I think that it's very um, intentional that words such as extremists are being used and not the Islamic terrorists. My concern with that choice of words is this, that this terminology, it's intentional because it's so generic, in fact, generic enough that it can be applied to any group whose values, beliefs, and actions are counter-cultural. And while right now we still do have a, a culture that is heavily influenced from Christian and biblical principles and values, it seems that those have been eroding 
and we are quickly and are there in so many ways to where standing up for the Word of God is so cross-cultural that to even take a stand in regards to the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to God or that there is a, a view that God has on sexuality or uh, marriage. To even to discuss those things, you can quickly find yourself being labeled as an extremist. So they're all lumped together. Anyone who doesn't agree with us is an extremist. We cannot fail here. We must not fail in regards to the truth of the gospel. But let, let, let me say this here. The most damaging aspect of Islam is not terrorism or war. That's not the biggest concern. That affects scores of people, 50, 100, thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands. And that is not even close to the greatest concern and the most damage that Islam has. The most dangerous thing about Islam is the eternal consequence of approximately 1 to 1.5 billion followers. We can argue all day long about this fight we have in the natural against terrorism and the laws we need to pass and the greater restrictions and what's happening in Syria. We can talk about those things, and those are important, and they affect us, but they're not nearly as damaging, though you think, oh, that's terrible, the World Trade Center or Orlando, you see these things going on, uh, they're, they're terrible, but they're not nearly as bad as what Islam is doing to at least 1.5 billion people who have embraced that faith, who will stand before God and spend an eternity separated from God in hell. We have to regain that perspective and come back to the truth that there is no way to God except through Jesus Christ. This is an area where we must not fail, church. We must not fail. Our greatest hope regarding Islam is to proclaim the gospel to those deceived by this false religion. And this can't be done out of fear. It can't be done out of anger. It can't be done out of hatred for those people who are like that, whoever those people are. You know, you, when you're fighting the battle in the natural, it's us against them and, though, you know, like, like there's a difference. No, all of us stand desperately in need for Jesus Christ to save us. It can't be done out of fear, anger, or hatred. It must be done out of sincere love and concern for their souls. Now, that's not exclusive to Islam. But it's for all those who are in, uh, caught up in, in other false religions or those who have no religion at all. It's all of those who have not yet found faith and life by placing their trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of their sins, believing that He's the only way to salvation. But it is true about Islam. And we have to come back to that understanding that there is a greater battle going on than just who will, you know, dominate who in the natural. It's a greater battle. That is an important battle. And, and the decisions we make are important. The laws we pass, the stance we take, but it's not the most important battle. It's a battle for souls. 
And right now, Islam claims approximately 1 to 1.5 billion, about 25, 20 to 25% of the world's population. That is the greatest concern, and we must not fail. We need to be bold and stand for the truth. Love people. Preach the gospel. I don't have all the answers on how to do that, when to do it, where to do it. Whatever realm that God puts you in, do it. You cannot fail, but we must not fail. We cannot miss this time of our visitation. There's too much at stake for you personally, for your family, for our nation, and for billions of people throughout the world. These are just some hot topics that, honestly, I'd rather not even be talking about. I'd rather us be right on track in all of them, but because we're not, and maybe because we haven't talked about them early enough, we've drifted. It's time for us to reset the anchor on the foundation of Jesus Christ and His Word so we can reclaim territory. It's not too late. It's not too late. 